It appears that the United States government is being slow to finalize regulation around blockchain and cryptocurrency, but that doesn't mean progress isn't being made. Now, it's said that all politics are local, and different states are moving forward with blockchain in different ways. In the state of Michigan, a bill has been passed that would write emerging Bitcoin and blockchain technologies into existing state laws that prohibit financial crimes and racketeering. And today, we're pleased to welcome Ryan Berman, a co-sponsor of this bill, to discuss regulation and the future of crypto in these here United States. It's the Regulate This Episode number 344 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast, where we are only regular when we eat our fiber. I'm Joel Com, and that's Travis Wright. I'm pretty regular. So you're regulated. I'm, I'm very regulated, which is very nice. Did the government have to regulate you? No, it's you know, it just seems like whenever the whenever you know nature calls, it seems to work. <laughs> well, this is a great interview today. We met Ryan at a crypto event recently. I believe World CryptoCon, right? I believe so. Yeah, smart yeah. guy. Doing great stuff, trying to help move forward the wonderful world of blockchain. As always, the show is brought to you by our friends at eToro. If you haven't claimed your $25 in free Bitcoin from us, your friends at the Bad Crypto Podcast, then you need to get on that. You want to make the switch to eToro. The app is free. The fees are low. It's all transparent. Go to Badco dot in forward slash eToro. Follow the rules on that page to claim your $25 in free Bitcoin. Mr. Travis Wright, you're ready to talk regulation? Let's get into it. Let's be quick now with less banter. Careful, folks. There's a lawman in the house. Well, he's not a sheriff, but he is a House of Representatives rep in the 39th district of the great state of Michigan. That's true. We have an actual government official with us right now, a representative, as it were. He serves as the vice chair in the House Regulatory Reform Committee and as a member of the Financial Services, Insurance and Judiciary Committees. And he knows crypto. We need people who know crypto working in government to pass laws that will help bring crypto adoption. His name is Ryan Berman, and we met him at Michael Turpin's place. Well, Mike Tyson's place, I guess, but Turpin's place in Las Vegas. Uh, Ryan, welcome to Bad Crypto. Thank you. Thanks for having me. couple things. You said not a sheriff. I was a sheriff, actually, though. Uh, was a reserve uh, deputy sheriff throughout law school and afterwards. Did a little stint um you know, yeah, my background is pretty unique. I'm an attorney. That's what I've been doing uh -oh. practice. Yeah. Run. It's like, uh, you know, I was running for office last year and I had a friend at one of my first uh, campaign events kick off. He said, you know, you're going from an attorney, now a politician. You're going up or down that ladder. Like, yeah, which, which is worse? I don't know. Yeah. You know, uh, in any event, it doesn't matter because I said, whatever it is, it's better than you, which he owned. He's a used car dealer, you know, <laughs> a couple of used car lots. So, well, that could be your next step. 
I mean, you don't know your future. You could have a car lot and you could be. So come on down to Berman's deals right here. We've got the best used jalopies. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. You know, that's what you're trying to do. Make a name for yourself any way possible. Right. But that's what happens. A lot of uh, ex NFL, ex NBA players, things like that. Use their uh, celebrity. Come on down to the lot. I just wonder how Mike Tyson feels about the fact that there was a politician in his house. Mike, what say you? Well, I, all I know is I just realized this is that Mike Tyson used to own a mansion and then we sold it to Michael Turpin. So it was still Mike T lives there. So it's still kind of the same. <laughs> I realized that when you just tell me this story. It's very great to meet you, Ryan Berman. Um, I'm surprised that, you know, I let an, another attorney in my house. Normally I don't like <laughs> attorneys in my house. Um, <laughs> I, I, have, I actually have a question here because this is really interesting that 60% of the U.S. Senate is lawyers. And like 38% of the House of Representatives, you know, in D.C. are lawyers. Like, what is it about attorneys that they decide to go into politics? Because it's like, you know, America is made up of more than you know, 60% of America is not attorneys. But here it is. Our representatives are are these, you know, it's such a one profession. And so there's like this mindset of this litigious mindset we're seeing it going on right now with the impeachment hearings it's like oh we're lawyers let's sue and let's impeach and let's do this because that's what we know like what is it about politics that lure in so many attorneys you know i think it's that fundamental base you know it's that legal base when you're studying the law um you know my background kind of going back is my father was an attorney and he practiced law for a little bit and then went into real estate and business. And my uncle, so by marriage, funny thing is his best friend growing up, they were best friends. They ended up uh, dating sisters and ended up marrying sisters. And so his best friend became uh, his brother-in-law. So now my uncle was uh, born to a famous uh, lawyer family here in the Detroit area and ended up going into politics. And he, he practiced and then became a state representative and state senator. So I kind of grew up with that. And my father had this advice. Uh, I have an older brother. And it was really not even advice. It was a mandate. You're going to law school. That was it. I had no choice. <laughs> it was you're going to law school. And then whatever you want to do after that, you can do. And but you were like, support. Dad, I want to be a ballerina. I want to dance. Yeah, you know what? And, and for me, it was law enforcement. And, and my dad said, hey, you have to know the law to be able to enforce the law. And you'll have that credential to be able to move up the ranks and, and make an impact. If you want to go, again, into politics like your uncle, you got to know the law to, uh, to change the law. And because the majority back then of, of politicians, and maybe it still is at the federal level, but here at the state level, majority had their law degree. And just for anything general business, you, uh, you know, having that base, you know what you can do or you can't do. You, have to, you don't have to be on the phone with your attorney. Oh, can I do this? Can I do that? If somebody threatens to sue you, you know your rights. So somebody can't hold that over you. When I went to law school is back in um, uh, 2002. And it was after the uh, 01 dot com bust and the whole technology thing. And, and at that time, people were getting laid off or couldn't get jobs. So what did they do is they, they said, oh, you know, the, the traditional role, uh, a doctor or a lawyer, right? Well, going to become a doctor, you have to have prerequisites. You have to have that schooling. 
anybody can go to law school. You can have a degree in basket weaving and go to law school. So I think it, when I applied, it was like a 300% uptick in applications going to law school. And nowadays, with our elementary school to college pipeline, that you know, college a college degree is has basically become what a high school degree used to be. Right? Everybody kind of goes to college, and after that, they say you you have to go to grad school now or get at least a master's degree to differentiate yourself. In you the need market. lots and lots and lots of debt. It's important. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Start your life off with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and then figure out what you want to do. Right. And that's what it is. It's a it kind of college has become a business and a money making opportunity for these institutions. And people come out in debt and they can't get jobs and they end up going, maybe going to trade school and getting certifications or something they could have done without going to that to college. And and now college is kind of used. I mean, I don't mean to you know, go off off topic. And that, that's a whole nother conversation. But no, you're absolutely right. But having that legal base, the other the, the other thing is, is, again, that anybody you don't have to have any prereqs to go to law school, mm-hmm. that JD, the Juris Doctorate, your law degree, you know, they're saying it's like the new BA, it's, it's a general degree that you can go and kind of do anything with, which brings back to that, that um, advice my father gave, and it kind of was, was spot on. Yeah, you get that degree and you can do anything. And I think a lot of people that are attracted to to law school and that relationship uh, to laws and society, you know, either want to make a difference, want to make a change, seek to it, or just even if they weren't like that, having that that law degree and that background being specifically trained once, I guess, in maybe elections and now what's happening in our country come up, they say, hey, I've been trained in this area. Or I, I know what where we could make a change. And it gets them to go out and try to do something. So I okay, think it's so, very helpful. Yeah. Why then, you know, knowing that politics is indeed it can be a swamp. Why would you run for office in the Michigan House? That's exactly why I ran is because it is a swamp. It is attracting, uh, you know divisive personalities it is getting very mean and nasty out there and i think we need to get back to what politics used to be is coming together collaboration consensus where i'm at in southeast michigan and especially in my district in the suburbs of detroit uh, in this area it's you know it's it's almost like a 50 50 district republicans and democrats other parts of this state uh, you get farther north in Michigan. It's it's more just Republicans down in, maybe in Detroit, South South Michigan. It's only Democrats. And what you see happening here in the state and around the country is that sometimes it's up to just one election, a primary election, and that's a kind of a limitation of our two party system. Where now you get and you see it at the level of who's going to going to either that far right or that far left to get those votes. And then sometimes, whether they do or not, or have to, in a general, when they're trying to get more votes, is say, oh, no, I really, you know, wasn't that far left or right. I'm more moderate. A lot of areas, they don't have to do that. So you have people coming in who just don't even want to work with the other side. And that's why gridlock and stuff doesn't get done. Mm-hmm. Now, me, that's why I got involved is because, in, and maybe that's another thing of, of the helpfulness of being an attorney and working in really my practice of dealing with diverse sides 
you know, conflicting sides coming together to have to reach a resolution. I'm a trained mediator. Mm -hmm. So used to taking two sides, coming, coming to that consensus, coming up with some maybe outside of the box, win-win situations. My personality and my training experience, I said, listen, we need to bring civility back. People that are willing to work across the aisle, people that can recognize the other side, their motivations, intentions, and, and work together to do what's best for everybody. And I thought that that I could, again, you know, you see gridlock in Washington being broken and you have, you know, 50 states coming together, 435 representatives at the federal level. Well, here in state, it's a nice smaller level. I, there's 120, 110 representatives in Michigan, uh, about 10 million residents. So each representative district is just under 100,000 people and thinking that I can affect change and, and get some stuff done here in in Michigan and Lansing, where, you know, it'd be much harder at the, the other levels, or at least, you know, get some experience here doing that. You know, that, that's, that's a great answer. And I, I definitely commend you for wanting to go out there and make some positive changes in the world. I'm curious, like, you know, most politicians now that are very effective, like they used to be bartenders. Did you used to bartend? No, no, but I did. I did bounce. <laughs> okay, well that's good. Well, that, that, I mean, we want to make sure that all of our you know law lawmakers worked in bars at one time. That's important to us. Um, I, what? <laughs> no, no. I, I I think it's it's important to have representatives that represent the people and representatives sure. that have those uh, different experiences. You don't want you know people. You don't want hundred percent attorneys. Yeah, yeah. You know some of these attorneys that just aren't you know in touch. I mean, I'm. I get it. I get why attorneys are given a bad rap. You know, it's one of those things that it's uh, maybe can't beat them, join them. Oh, yeah. became an attorney to, to <laughs> so I didn't have to hire an attorney and deal with a, an attorney, right? Yeah. Got uh, been involved in law enforcement. It's kind of like a fraternity there. Yeah. Uh, now, pol- being in politics, being in Lansing. Yeah, I have a serious question. It's like it seems it seems that politics normally attracts people who traditionally sort of crave power, right? It's like, it's, it seems, I'm not saying all, and I'm not saying you, I'm just saying it seems that politics sort of, there's not as many altruistic people that, that typically run for office, it seems like. I mean, I, I've done analysis on this, and it seems like, you know, it's like they, a, lot of these, a lot of these politicians, they'll go into office, and, you know, they're making their hundred, whatever thousand dollars a year and they're in office for 30 years. The next thing you know, they're worth half a billion dollars, you know, and it's like they crave power. They crave, you know, and, and they use their power to, to manipulate and they end up getting super rich. I mean, I'm talking at the federal level. It's so yeah, weird absolutely. watching like absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And then we have like the far left going, we want socialism. I'm like, OK, but guess what happens? Then you have the government who's in charge of everything. And look how corrupt they pretty much already are. Like, this seems weird. So, like, why does why does politics, you know, in, in a lot of ways sort of attract those, you know, those those I don't know call them. They're not like they're psychopathic, not Soci- sociopath, sociopath. Yeah. Type of people, because it seems like it's detrimental to our to our freedoms over time, it seems. Yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, I think that it attracts in the gamut. I mean, a lot of different personalities, you know, going back to your bartender thing. And I've seen it here. We've seen it at the federal level and we've seen it here locally that sometimes it it looks like a quick payday for somebody. Mm. It's a lot easier for somebody to go out there and put the name on the ballot 
let's say doing work or not doing any work and getting elected to a job than actually going out and interviewing and having somebody hire them and whether they have the skills and ability to do that job. Again, I think that's a detriment to our two-party system where you can just put your name, again, anybody can put their name on a ballot. There's not that, you know, for ballot access, uh, you can go and get signatures or typically pay a $100 fee. And that's all can, it takes hundred dollar fee and you can run yeah, for office. Yeah. Dude, that would like, be fun to do that. Just to say ran for office, right? Yeah, what yes. was the candidate for Congress? Yeah. Somebody, people do that, especially in, let's say a heavily Republican or heavily Democrat area, whatever it is, knowing that 90% of the vote is going to go to that incumbent or that other party, they'll throw their name on it just so the person doesn't go unopposed and, or, you know, for whatever other reason, saying, hey, I was uh, the Republican or the Democratic candidate for Congress in this district. And then they go around and people don't know any better. They had zero chance whatsoever to ultimately win. But, you know, maybe it elevates and puts their name out there and yeah. in media, whatever. It's kind of like being an Amazon court. bestseller. Right. Doesn't mean <laughs> anything at all. Okay, so let, let's get into the crypto realm then, because you're a uh, you're a crypto guy. What is your uh, your Bitcoin story? When did you discover this and, and realize that this is a game changer? Well, you know what? I'm that's the thing. I'm not really a crypto guy. I just know about it. I, okay. Well, thanks for the interview. Appreciate <laughs> it. This has been great. Yeah. yeah no. Exactly. I mean, that's uh, that's the thing is I'm trying to. You know, I'm I'm somebody that likes to research and and get into things. Um, but you know, being a not near the youngest representative, I mean, we have a 22 year old, and then going back to you know putting your your name on a ballot, going that thing. Um, and, and nothing against those people, but it, it's you, you know, minimum requirements, whatever. But stay up to date, technology, things like that. I at least know what cryptocurrency is. Right. As opposed to other representatives and 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 some people as one has never even heard of it or if they did, they have no clue, you know, what's what's going on. Well, maybe um, let's let's be specific and talk about some legislation that was passed in Michigan this year. It's a Bitcoin and mm -hmm. blockchain crime bill. And I, I find it fascinating that this whole thing came about because there was a dog fighting ring case where the ringleader was prosecuted, um, but not individual participants who had placed bets using crypto. Talk about that case and how that brought this to the uh, the Michigan rep. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it was exactly that. Our laws, most of our laws here in Michigan, I think a lot of other, you look at our federal laws, states, you know, date back the early 1900s. Uh, so obviously we're trying to, you know, keep up with technology. And uh, uh, apparently the, the story goes, there was a dog fighting ring here and the participants of this dog fighting ring were uh, exchanging digital currency and cryptocurrency and whether it was Bitcoin or some other form. And the prosecutors, once it, uh, the, this ring ended up getting uh, broken up, the prosecutors were not able to prosecute the participants because the law specifically said it had a reference to money, exchanging money. And this crypt cryptocurrency is, is definitely, it's not money. Uh, so that was brought to the attention of a, of a legislate, legislator last term. 
and they put forth these bills to include cryptocurrency and digital currency in the definition uh, specifically for uh, this to prevent dog fighting or animal and animal cruelty. Uh, but also uh, it was part of a package of other bills to update financial transaction uh, device, credit card theft, uh, racketeering and embezzlement. And uh, what happened is, is now that I'm a, a new representative coming in and I sit on the financial services committee, a couple of the other members said, we're going to bring forth and, and nothing happened. Those bills were, were put in uh, last term and they were not acted upon. And this time, uh, we put them back in and I, I took the bill to uh, add uh, cryptocurrency in the definition of embezzlement. And they passed our committee, the Financial Services Committee. Then it passed the entire House floor, went over. We have a bicameral uh, legislature. So when it originated in the House, it goes over to the Senate. I uh, went over the Senate Judiciary Committee earlier uh, last month. It passed that committee and has been referred to the uh, Senate uh, as a whole, which will be taking those up uh, shortly. And we expect those to pass and go on to the governor and be the first uh, implementation to put cryptocurrency and specifically blockchain technology uh, codified in the laws in, in the state. It's 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 definitely an, an interesting time. And so what is what is your you know, what is your overall thought on on Bitcoin and blockchain? Like now, as you start to understand it now, what is how would you describe blockchain and, and Bitcoin to maybe some of the other people in, in, in the House of Representatives there that maybe don't understand it? How do you personally describe mm -hmm. that those technologies? You know, it, it just depends on who I'm talking to to try to get you know again we have some members uh 78 years old in, in the house and and trying to get something that they they can relate to whether you know dealing with the technology and because there are different aspects that are brought up one of the representatives voted against these bills and the reason for that is is kind of not in it is saying that we don't want ha uh, people to have a negative connotation of this technology and they don't want the first implementation of, you know, uh, digital currency, cryptocurrency and, and blockchain to be part of a cri our criminal code. And they didn't want negative attention brought upon uh, upon this technology because there are. And when talking to other representatives saying, OK, is this what what people use to buy drugs on the dark web? This is what people use to do illegal and use it for nefarious purposes. And you have to say, Hey, no, that, that's, I mean, it, it could be. Some use cases of that. Yeah, I, I yeah. always say, well, you know what? Some do, but you know what? The U.S. Mm -hmm. dollar seems to have been, most crime is done with the U.S. dollar, and it's not even close. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like 99% is like the graft and stuff happens with dollars, not not crypto, right? Yeah, I mean, that's talking about cash and, and you know, the, the problems there. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, is interesting though, in, in talking about what the, the blockchain and the uses for it, where it doesn't just have to be for, uh, you know, monetary transactions, you can use it, you know, it's that tokenization, you can use it for, um, 
I mean, I think we could use it for a lot of different areas. And I think people are already starting to do that in the technology field. But, you know, I think it's ripe for other areas and what the government government is already doing and recording transactions like uh, specifically um, uh, deeds and the register of deeds in every county and, and title the properties, things like that. And uh, I just think it has that application for, yeah. you know, all, all different kind of uses. That's great. Now, actually, you know, one of the things that I think would be most beneficial is that, you know, most people real, don't realize what our U.S. dollar is. They don't realize that it's paper money that's out, that's, that has nothing that backs it except the good faith and credit of the U.S. government. It's printed out of thin air. The Federal Reserve has never been audited. We don't know how many dollars there are, right? And blockchain really sort of you know, in Bitcoin really is, oh, we know there's going to be 21 million of them. And the reason that the price increases is because of the scarcity of it. They're not going to go to the, to the Fed and say, hey, print more. Let's do some quantitative easing and print more. So the value over time is, is increasing over time, whereas the value and the spending of the dollar decreases over time. One of the things that I always think about is like, could you imagine how amazing it could be if blockchain transparency was implemented inside the government spending? And citizens could actually see where their tax dollars actually go. Like that would be revolutionary, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. That'd be great. It's it's funny in, in you know, saying that, I mean, transparency is my like number one issue, mm. right? So we have specific issues dealing with here in Michigan and and one of my first bills is opening up our with our auto insurance and, and bring more transparency. It was bringing uh, my first bill was actually the Legislative Open Records Act is to, you know, provide basically a Freedom of Information Act to the legislator, which Beautiful. it doesn't apply right now. I just had a, a, a hearing last week on one of my newest bills was um, with the Oversight Committee is posting in all our state departments everybody that works for them and their salary information, right? So our government, again, money, it's, it's, it's our taxpayers. And if you think about it, you say, oh, running our government kind of like a business. Well, it's a publicly traded, you know, like any publicly traded corporation, right? If our government was on the stock exchange, it'd be kicked off because there are no audits. There is no accountability, the scandals, the fraud. I mean, just think about it. The taxpayers are the shareholders, of our government. It's our tax money that's going and funding the government. Preach it. We need to have that transparency. Where is our money going? With technology nowadays, there's no reason why every state government, even the federal government, having a website, easy drop-down information, which departments, how much they're getting, having pie charts, where is that money going? Where is it being spent? There's no reason not to have that. Mm-hmm. So with it and this technology, yeah, you can do things with that more transparency. Yeah, there's so My much person. graft, so much yeah. graft in politics. I mean, I was reading some information about, you know, the Flint, Michigan water thing. And it's like, mm-hmm. there's been all these times where there's been funding for it, but then all of a sudden it gets misappropriated or whether like, what the hell's going on in Flint, Michigan? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you know, you have uh, different levels of government uh, going from the, the city council and then the state uh, overseeing the the water departments and the state regulators and the different departments, and you have fingers being pointed and who did what, what decisions you know were made, and who ultimately is is responsible for. If that was on blockchain, right? Oh, we would know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know what? Th- 
think about that. I mean, you have in, in something that's easily verifiable, talking about transparency, you know, we, anytime we vote, it's recorded in the House Journal and it's posted on, on the, the website, right? So what's the great thing? And I guess for, question for you guys, and, and, but what I feel with the distributed ledger technology of how it's, again, getting rid of that, let's say the central bank, getting rid of that middleman, putting that information out there, what, nothing prevents, again, somebody with a nefarious purpose to, let's say, just cross it out and say, oh, no, Berman voted no on this one. Hey, that's not the real record. That's not right. Somebody hacked in and changed the one record. But with that technology, you can't hack in, or at least with the the, the whole mm-hmm. Bitcoin to it's immutable, where, unmovable, yeah. uneditable. Like imagine, right. in, remember Enron? Like they had the Enron. They had, hey, here's our books that, that's good for the mm-hmm. stock market, and then here's our real ones, which is like, yeah. oh damn. And we're not going to show anybody these. Look at how great our numbers are over here. You can't do that on the blockchain. You can't go in and edit it. That's what I love about it. It's like a brick in the wall. You can't go back into that brick and then make any edits into that. Once it's in the blockchain, it's in the blockchain. And that that creates some sort of accountability. It, it, you know, People don't, inherently do not trust politicians. Why? Because we've been burned so many times, right? We need more politicians who have vision like you that says, hey, Let's implement some of these technologies that can help make the world a better, more transparent place because then we know what we're dealing with. Like, how is it we spend 500, 600, 700 billion dollars into the Department of Defense and we have no idea where that money goes? And then there's all these numbers of like, oh, the federal government's missing 20 trillion dollars. Like the, the University of Michigan had a report on that. Like there's so much money missing. Like, how is this possible with these technologies today? And then, well, you keep getting politicians in there that keep passing those things and they keep lying in their pockets and we don't have good ones in there and there's no way to visually see who the corrupt ones are because there's no transparency into it. It's crazy. Absolutely. No, that's a- absolutely true. Well, we're glad that we have, um, you know, people that are ethical and, and want to be on the right side of being transparent for the people. I'm wondering, do you have aspirations beyond the Michigan house? Do you want to go to the real swamp? <laughs> not particularly no bring your boots uh, if you do need to <laughs> those <yeah>. equators <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you know what it, it again it's just getting and you you see what happens uh fingers pointing and and just no matter what you do it you know it is it's a hard business that that it is and if you want to call it that of you know every vote i take you're gonna it, typically and and something that's semi-controversial you're going to piss off half the people right you know and and it uh it does it gets taxing hearing from from others i i had somebody complain to me recently saying sending me an email that they were upset that i towed the party line on this one vote and it wasn't it was kind of democrats voted for it republicans against it and then ended up saying that he was the same party that i was Yet he was upset at the, that this vote, and he never wrote in to before the vote to say how important it was to this person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that can get frustrating, you know, a little bit in, in saying, oh, I've lost all support from these people, and they're going to spread it around and how terrible I am based off of one vote. You know, you're not just one vote. You're a culmination of... 
I imagine very few people, especially in local politics, are actually involved. Like, what is the population of your district and how many people voted in your election? So the population of my district is uh, about 93,000 residents. And I think that it, that's about, it was just under like 40,000 or about 40,000 households. In my election, it was... I think 24th, I got 24,000, about 24,000 votes to my opponent's 18,000. That's actually a pretty good percentage of involvement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we had a pretty high turnout. And I think uh, everywhere else, we had uh, uh, marijuana on the ballot in 2018. Uh, What was the the proposition? What side were you on and what one? So uh, it was uh, to allow... So we had uh, here in Michigan medical marijuana for a couple of years, and then it was on the ballot for recreational to make marijuana legal in uh, certain quantities for recreational uses. And it overwhelmingly uh, passed. And, you know, I believe, again, you know, talking about that, that it is up to the voters. It is a state's right in in really because again at the federal level it's still illegal federally yeah. and i don't think it should be i think it's a state issue i think the the federal government oversteps its constitutional authority when it tries regulating uh things like that where they it, it's just not found and it's not their role under the constitution they use their commerce power to completely ban substances and i i just don't think uh that's that's proper. Yeah. When did that happen? Because, I mean, originally it was all states' rights. The states decided what they were going to do. And then all of a sudden, sometime it flipped. And then the federal government became so big that they started making mandates that were across the whole gamut. What, when, did, when did that actually occur? Because I don't know that I've ever pinpointed that. That was in the 20s as part of the New Deal uh after the whole um like depression era and and try the reconstruction uh rebuilding of kind of like when when social security and all these types of programs started getting implemented Mm. that's when the federal government started really expanding their power Mm. and there are some supreme court cases and specifically dealing with that and and that's what the federal government uses is the commerce power under the constitution they have the power to regulate commerce between nations and between the states Mm. and that was really for you know some states to not put tariffs and and taxing you know, uh, goods and, and trying to freeze out others or trying to ha- have rifts between states. Yeah. It wasn't meant for the government to, to come in and, and outlaw, you know, drugs or vapes yeah. or guns. That's up to the, those are all state level issues, states' rights. It's the yeah. states that, that have the power to regulate the health, safety, and welfare of its citizens. I remember back in the day, so like before 1913, before the Federal Reserve Bank and the IRS was created, there was, I mean, I have a stack of notes from banks all over America and banks had their, you know, states had their own currency and it wasn't just the U.S. dollar. It was like all these little communities, they had their own sort of notes. And it was really interesting, Mm -hmm. especially like in the, you know, the mid 1800s and early 1900s. And it's really cool to look at all these old dollars like, oh, this one right here is valid only in North Carolina. Wow. And it, se- it seems like with cryptocurrency, you know, we could get back to a point where like maybe there's a Michigan dollar and it's a crypto 
currency and there's there's different use cases for that that that's sort of tied to the stable coin that's connected to the US dollar and stuff i mean it seems to me that the current system of dollars we were at, i was at this big event last night where we were talking where there were some some really big people there who you know talk about mon- monetary policy and stuff and they said that by 2030 paper money and the current monetary system is going away. It's, the band-aids aren't going to work. The bubble is so big. The derivative bubble and all these bubbles of debt is just so huge. It's going to come crashing down. There's going to be a new system emerging. Now, do you think that, you know, is that possible or how soon do you think that, you know, digital currencies maybe take over and do, do you think we're going to start seeing more state sovereign currencies in the future? Yeah, I think it's entirely possible in in, in what we see in, in going back even to to our dollars now and having this, you know, fiat money, not not having some the gold standard, you know, even with with crypto and whether it, it is used as currency or, or anything else, it it's all what we agree for it to be. Perception becomes reality. Right? So the the perception and and you see it in the stock market and that's what we see kind of what what bitcoin has done throughout the years of uh you know going up in that value because people perceive that value and then the price goes up and then for whatever whether it's uh, negative information something like that price goes down the stock market same way is that you can have a company that's doing extremely well nothing you get some bad or wrong information and people just start selling it or they need money for whatever reason, they sell it and it has nothing to do with the actual performance of that company, of the underlying company. So again, that's where that perception becomes reality, the, the, the based off of these values. With our technology and, and going around just with everybody has an, you know, a smartphone in their pocket, the Android, the iPhone. If you look at other countries in, in China and uh, Hong Kong and some of these areas that have been using um, digital currency and uh, near field payment systems and things like that for quite a long time. And now it's starting to come here to the United States, you know, keeping up with that technology or using it, going back to cash. It's like how many people are really carrying around cash anymore? Not only that, it's how many and millennials like want to have actual coins in their pocket, mm-hmm. right? No, nobody. I don't. I don't like. Oh, you give me my penny back. You know, I. I don't. People don't want that. So I, it's it, time to eliminate the penny. By the way, absolutely. It's you know. That's, I mean, that's look, what I was about to say. I mean, Lincoln's on the five. It's it's good. You know, I watched a video last night that I'm going to include in the show notes for y'all, and it was Max Kaiser, who can be a bit of a wingnut, but was also you know all in on Bitcoin, and he was interviewed on Kitco News, um, and he said that China is hoarding gold and that they are going to release their crypto backed by metal and it's going to absolutely destroy the US dollar. He is he's convinced that mm. this is this is their big plan wow. um that they're going to go crypto backed by gold and our dollar is going to go wah, wah, mm. sad trombone. And we've talked about that Joe. We've talked I mean we've we've had people on like we've said okay there's stable coins that are connected to the US dollar when are we going to see a valuable you know, stable coin that's actually connected to gold that's in a vault somewhere or something that would almost that would make more sense than just money out of thin air. Like, that's wild. What do you think about that, Ryan? I think it makes sense. You know, I, uh, I, I believe it was China earlier this year ended up saying that they're going to come out 
right? Is they, that mm-hmm. they're going to come out with uh, their own regulations and their own crypto. So for it to be backed by their that commodity or that that gold absolutely makes sense especially Mm -hmm. to to strengthen that fascinating stuff well ryan we appreciate you coming on the show and uh, and sharing with us and keep us posted if there's you know legislation that you see that's rising up that is relevant to the uh, the crypto world we'd sure like to hear from you yeah well you know what so so that's the thing having that one bill go through uh i already have uh, a couple others one is uh you know like campaign finance in in with campaign finance laws of being able to accept money or other things of value actually putting in that you can accept you know digital or cryptocurrency i want to donate cows i want to donate two cows to your campaign yeah (laughs) they're kind of lean they're hungry (laughs) but they're cows (laughs) um but yeah you know what in and uh you know, seeing in, in that I was just notified of uh, what uh, Wyoming has done with their their laws, I started taking a look in that. I know earlier this year I had somebody, you know, come up to me and, and say uh, that they want to uh, start a, a crypto exchange in Michigan and want some regulations put in place to, to have it here. And so it's kind of been on my to-do list. I've had a, a white paper from Wisconsin, a neighboring state. I guess they have some type of regulations like this 30 page white paper has been sitting on my desk. I still haven't have time, found time to read it yet. But going in that, seeing that Wisconsin has passed these laws and in, in learning that New York has passed uh, different different ones. Uh, I've uh, requested some uh, research by my staff be performed and I'm going to be introducing some bills uh, like Wyoming. Um, but what I recommend what I recommend your your listeners to do, and no matter what what state they live in, if they want some more uh, friendly laws, is to uh, get involved and in, in even at the level of looking up and, and typically just typing in and, and going to your legislature's uh, website, finding out who your representative or senators, and contacting them. Uh, or even looking at who, if there's a committee on on technology or something like that, mm-hmm. seeing who that that person is, because as a representative w- at the state level, you are dealing with laws that affect all all different areas. When I started to to run, you get uh, questionnaires from such uh, diverse constituencies and, and special interests. It's like the Corn Growers Association. The potatoes, I'm like, I've never even heard of that. There's literally an association for everything. And you have to be, once you're a representative, you're dealing with all these different areas. Luckily for me and having my background, having being a general practice attorney, I'm pretty adept in, in knowing the laws and what will affect different areas and, and what's out there. But there's areas and in, in just like this with technology, with crypto specifically, you cannot be an expert. And and maybe there is one expert out there, but it's highly, you know, improbable. There's some crypto expert that was that was uh, elected in office. So you have to be that voice for your representative. You have to bring them that information and they will listen. And you have to say, hey, this is what we need or this. The law needs to change this way. And this is why. And if it makes sense and and you get something like, yeah, 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 I, I agree with that. They have the power. They can draft a bill, submit it, and you can go in and testify in front of committees and help 
move that along. I've had a, a constituent came to me one of my first uh, like roundtable meetings of the year and brought a, a problem to me. And I said, oh, yeah, I agree. That's a problem. You know, that week I submitted a bill and now months later, it's it's now on the governor's desk. It's about to get signed into law because a constituent brought an issue to me. Your representative isn't going to know that this is an issue or if there is an issue unless you bring it to them. And there's a way that you guys can mobilize, especially, you know, with an audience, if something needs to be changed to to get people, it's almost like the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah. You have a representative and you start emailing them and you get whether it's a form email, regular one, or even now going back, talking about cash and technology, you get a it, it's rare. I'm getting emails every single day right now, emails coming in from constituents. But having that letter, you know, holds a little bit more weight. Did we in. see something, Travis, at uh, it World Crypticon where there was um, a group that was taking um, letters to con- to Congress and putting them on blockchain and, and delivering them? I can't remember who it was. I'm not but- sure on that. So, so basically, you're saying that um, a mailed letter way more impactful than an email. Yes. Okay. Because the effort. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it it shows that you took the time. Well, it's like an email, there. except you just yeah. print it out, so it's good. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. Because you know what? You get form, you get, you know, some of these, you know, whether a petition site or something, and then you'll get, you know, a hundred emails in of the same thing and it just changes the name. Right, right. So so sometimes it's like, all right, you have a standard response, you know, you just copy and paste that on there or whatever. Somebody sending you a letter, typically you're gonna reply in a letter form also. It's gonna take that, you know, extra bit of effort also to send it back to somebody so you're gonna pay a little bit more attention i'm gonna send smoke signals and i'm gonna expect to see smoke signals back again carrier pigeon yeah typically works also well i would say this ryan i think you're right on and here's why innovation is leaving america in droves in this space right because of the regulation and the uncertainty of what's going on we're seeing it all the time we've interviewed 300 different crypto projects probably in the last two and a half years and the majority of them are not building it in america they're leaving and building it in malta they're building it in singapore they're building it in the caribbean islands they're building it somewhere else other than in america because the regulations are so iffy and the sec looks at it as a security the cftc looks at it as a commodity the irs looks at it as property everybody's doing this and they don't you know Uh, it's just crazy. And so we're seeing uh, the next Silicon Valley will not be in America. And the reason is, is that, uh, you know, Congress people in not just in the States, but in in Congress overall, they don't understand it. They don't want to understand it. We're in the very beginning. We're like in 1994, 1995 internet stuff. And the ecosystem is not being allowed to sort of grow organically on its own. It's being squashed before the little seedling can turn into a plant and they're leaving and the other countries are going to start seeing this prosperity. That's what we're seeing from doing the show. People are leaving in droves. It's crazy. Yeah. And that's a shame. And that's one thing why I want to put something in place to attract that and know that Michigan is a place that you can use technology and do business. Um, Specifically Detroit has, uh, in the last decade, in the last years, it's just on an uh, upswing, uh, total rebirth, revamp. And uh, Detroit has been trying to be known as the tech hub and the Silicon Valley, uh, you know, 2.0 of the of the east side of the, the country. Um, 
And a lot of that has been pushed by uh, uh, fintech and the financial technology. And, and I think that's why this and, and with crypto and, and uh, you know, just fits hand in hand with that. So we, we can continue that uh, upside of Detroit and everywhere else in the state. But you're absolutely right. People want to have stability, you know, finality of, of regulations, knowing uh, that their investments, their business are going to be safe. And uh, when you don't have that or you don't have that in, in an area, yeah, you're going to go to where you where you are best to to be able to thrive. Ryan Berman, District 39 of the Michigan House. You guys can find a link to his official website in the show notes. And Ryan, we appreciate you fighting the good fight. And thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Appreciate it. Good luck and talk to you guys soon. And thank you, Mr. Ryan Berman. All the links mentioned today are in the show notes. You can access them freely. There's no charge. Go to badco.in forward slash 344. And Travis, I included one more link in there that I think everybody needs to go check out. And this is our friend Max Kaiser, who eventually will get back on the show. He's he's hard to pin down. He's kind of like a jumping bean. You know, it's like, Max, can we bing, 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 bing. Uh, But he did a video talking about how China is secretly hoarding gold and that they are going to be the ones to put a crypto out backed by this gold and it's going to crush the U.S. dollar. Mm. Yeah, you definitely want to check that out. Max Kaiser has historically just in this space has been a what were they called a yeoman? Or like a soothsayer, <laughs> soothsayer, whatever. Like it seems like he has had an uncanny ability to, to to peer into the future when it comes to money and economics and crypto and even gold and silver. I remember paying attention to him pretty regularly when uh, before gold and silver ran up in 2010, 2011, and a uh, really smart guy. And he says that China is secretly hoarding gold. And there's going to be a crypto backed by that. That could be really wild to see that whole thing sort of transpire. So we'll see how that you want to go check that out. Go to the show notes, badco.in forward slash three, four, four. And you can see all that stuff right there. Absolutely. And Mr. Travis Wright, uh, I have some banter for you, actually. But first, why don't you tell the friends in the Republic of Bad Cryptopia about our other sponsor? So, yeah, Divi, we've talked about them quite a little bit. We're big fans of them. And uh, we're advisors on that project. And since we've been working with them, they've made a lot of improvements and they have grown and the, the token price is, has done very well and they've, they've acquired some companies and they're doing stuff. Well, now they're taking early signups for its new digital finance ecosystem that offers you a crypto debit card, instant bank accounts, and fiat to crypto on and off ramps right in the wallet. And so... You're going to want to be one of the first in line to get your hands on these services. So do this. Uh, when you're done with the show, go to wallet.diviproject.org and enter your email, and you'll be on the list to be one of those people to uh, to take advantage of that when, that's, when that goes live. I just happened to have my Divi wallet open when we were recording, Travis, and mm-hmm. another 540 just landed in there in the next few minutes from my master nodes. 
Um, it's fantastic. I freaking love how this works. And I love that there is a great community around these guys. And that's why we're advisors with them. We believe in, in this project. Of course, as always, we're not financial advisors. We're just two dudes talking crypto. So go do your own due diligence. And you have nobody but yourself to blame for making or losing money with your investments. Or blame Travis. Do do's talking crypto. That's what we do. In fact, DJ, why don't you spin that up for us? Two dudes talking crypto. Two dudes talking crypto. Joel and Travis are just two dudes talking crypto. Oh, yeah. And Mr. Travis Wright, there are rumors out there. And I'm not going to state this officially yet, but apparently... There is a team that is working on having the um, the Bad Coin Development Association set up, and that's badass. And w- once we can provide you with that information, maybe an interview with the the team that is setting it up will will tell you more. But uh, they're excited about Bad Coin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's been a lot of discussions about people who are wanting to help us set up a uh, help Bad Coin set up a, a foundation. And settled on the association, the Badcoin Asset Development (BAD) Association. It's badass, it's and badass. it'll be ready soon. And I'm excited about that. The team, you know, over there decided they they really like the project. They think that it has a future. And you know, with having an, an association and a foundation who can manage some of that, then some actual marketing can take place, and some other things could be done by the by the foundation to build awareness for the project. So. Yeah, I believe that you and I and other founders will be donating Badcoin to the association mm-hmm. so that they can move forward with whatever it is that that they want to do. So if you're not mining Badcoin, I know hundreds of you are, but if you're not, it's so easy to do. We've talked about this on a previous episode, but go to badcoin.net and just go see how to mine. You open a wallet, you download the miner, you could put it on your your MacBook or your old PC desktop or a Linux box, and you can be pulling down bad coins. Somebody in the Telegram just posted uh, just yesterday, I'm not going to call them out by name, but they said they had mined a million bad coin so far. Nice. That's that good. exciting. That is good very good. Coin. Yeah. That is good. Oh. And I, I noticed the other day I, I was I was mining some, and I think I mined um, uh, with just my MacBook. I mined about fifty five hundred Bitcoin one day, which is pretty good. Mine your own business, Travis. I'm trying. I'm trying. Uh, one more thing about Bitcoin. Just a reminder that the old BitShares chain, where the original Bitcoin was first spawned, is going to be no longer functional. You will not be able to trade that old bad coin on the BitShares chain December 31st. It's going away. And if you're still hodling BAD on the BitShares platform, you'll never be able to do a darn thing with them. So mm-hmm. make sure that you go to badcoin.net and follow the instructions to swap that old bad coin for the new bad because new bad is more better. That's true. And you know what? Uh, there's going to be people crying about it that didn't know. But my goodness, <laughs> we've, we've, we've let that thing go on for like nine months or something. So that swap going on. You know what? I just missed a swap. Um, Rob McNeely and his his uh, OCC coin that I had a huge stack of from the airdrop. They did a swap to Tusk, the new mm-hmm. coin, and I was out of town when it happened. And there was a, a really short date range on it. 
Um, and by the time I got back, it, that was it. The chain was closed and there was no swapping. So now I have millions of this uh, token that if the new coin is ever worth anything, I'm going to be like, then I'll be crying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's like, that's how crypto works. You know, it's almost like a coupon that expires. You know, you can't go to the store afterwards. It's it's December 2nd. And yeah, but the coupon expired October 31st. Yeah, but I want to use it now. But well, it expired. You can't. So that's mm. what's going to be with bad. And yeah. if you don't swap them again, you'll have nobody to blame but Travis. Yeah, blame me. It's totally fine. I'm the crypto. I'm the guy who loses crypto anyway. So I won't empathize. I won't empathize with you. I mean, we I, appreciate everybody. More people. <laughs> I always, I always silently cheer when Mr. Joe Com loses crypto. Like, yeah, catch up to me. Catch up to me. <laughs> I've worked on it a few times. It hasn't happened yet. Hey, thanks everybody for listening. Love to hear your feedback, questions, suggestions, criticisms. Take your criticisms to another podcast because they really want to hear them. But just tell us how much you love us because we need love. I need hugs. Go to badcryptopodcast at gmail.com. Send us email or go to the website badcryptopodcast.com click the contact us link or you can reach out via any of the socials the twitters the facebooks the instagram alama ding dongs all those places we are there and you could find us and stalk us and send us bitcoin so notice we had a little bit of banter after so we we got into the uh, the interview feature a little quicker. What do you think about that? Send us an email. Let us give us a feedback on what you think about the show. As we're gonna do little tweaks and kind of you know hone it up a little bit. Let us know what you think. Send us an email with all your kind words and praise at badcryptopodcast at gmail or leave us one of those fancy five star reviews over there on iTunes or Facebook or wherever it is you listen to the magical podcast. The magical words of Mister Joel Com. Can you dig it? We can. Uh, Travis, you are one spectacular some bitch. I just want everybody to know that. Some bitch. All right, gang. Catch you next time. Stay bad. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.